Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. With me today is Nathan King. Nathan is the co-founder and CEO of It's Electric, a really interesting company I'm excited to talk to him about. So Nathan, thanks so much for coming in. Great to be here. So let's just quickly define what It's Electric is for the, for the audience and then kind of go back to your past a little bit. So what is It's Electric? So sure, it, It's Electric is, uh, is EV charging for cities and, and more specifically for the millions of drivers who park their cars on the street. They don't have access to their own private driveway or garage. And so they don't really have any e convenient or easy way to, to plug in a car. So these drivers are uh, you know, demanding right now to get into EVs, but they don't see any way to charge. And so they're gonna hold on to their internal combustion engines for as long as they can. Yeah, and are you guys, the, and we'll talk a lot about it, but is there any other startup even doing this? Because you're the only one I've ever heard of working on this. There, there's definitely uh, startups trying to address this curbside niche, yeah. particularly in the EU. They're a lot further ahead right. of us on that. Right. Uh, and there's some companies in Canada, another couple companies in uh, Brooklyn, but uh, we're, we're, one of, we're unique in that we have a different approach to how we want to power that charger. And uh, that approach is based on tapping into uh, spare electrical capacity in the uh, adjacent private property. So uh, that really kind of simplifies the permitting and installation process. Uh, we, we don't have to go out into the street and jackhammer down to the utility. Uh, we don't have to deal with Con Ed getting a permit and things so, like that. So I've, I'm in Brooklyn, I've got a brownstone, I have a electric car, I wanna park it out front and charge it. From, from the minute that I say, I want to do this, until the minute that I can plug in my car, what has to happen? From the, so the, you would have to uh, sign up with It's Electric. We'll, yeah. we'll put you uh, on a list and come by and inspect your property. If you have that spare capacity, if you don't have something in front of your house, let's say like a fire hydrant or something like that that's going to block it, uh, then we'll, we'll go in and we'll work with the city to get a uh, revocable consent permit, right? And once that's granted, it's a matter of weeks. Also, by the way, we're, we're predicating this on the fact that we've already formed a relationship with New York City DOT, yeah. right? So we've, they've given us some authorization, which we're working on right now to go into these communities and uh, set up our pilots. Uh, so that's, you know, a, a multi-week process. Uh, and then the installation itself takes about a day, right? A electrician comes in, they connect into your panel. There's some subgrade work to get the charger out to the uh, curb. We come back later and put the post in place, and then it should be able to go live. And then, can anyone with an electric car, if they wanted to, you, could you say to your friend, like, come on over and charge it? And then what do you do if, like, random people start using your charger? Like, is that good or bad? No, actually, we want you to, we want random people to use the charger because the one thing I didn't mention is very important to our business model. We actually have a revenue sharing model. Gotcha. So the charger earns a fee. We'll, we're going to pay uh, Con Edison for the utility tariff. Yep. And with whatever is remaining of that fee, we share that with the, uh, with the host property. Uh, they earn that in the form of passive income. So yeah, you can put your car there and charge it up as an amenity for yourself, but then when you're not parked in that spot, anybody else can come along and plug in and charge as well. So let's say you live in a, in a pretty high density area um, and you have this, how much money can you make? So we, we've done uh, some modeling here, and we assumed a certain you know, utilization rate, about 20%, mm -hmm. uh, which is lower than what, the, what New York City is, is, is predicting. Yeah. And based on that, uh, you're going to be able to make enough, if you're a one or two family home, to basically pay for your electric bill for the year. 
for everything, the charging and everything else that you're doing as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we, and we install all of this at no cost to you as well, right? This is something that we'll, we'll use uh, public incentives for or other kinds of financing to get the charger. Got it. So I want to do this. It's cost me nothing. It's pretty simple. And then I make some money on it. Too. That's right. Yep. So what are the neighborhoods, at least let's start with New York City, that kind of work best for something like this? Yeah. You know, the one of the things that we talk a lot about um, is we want to make sure that we find neighborhoods where people are really going to use their cars a lot. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's important, I think, to uh, find these neighborhoods also because it addresses uh, this problem that we're having around EV equity, right? Uh, a lot of uh, neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens right now, you can go miles and there's no publicly accessible charger. Right. So we actually want to actually go into some of these you know, outer, uh, outer borough, outer edges of the outer borough communities, uh, especially ones that are underserved by transit. And, uh, and get our chargers in there. Those drivers need to use their cars to get around. They'll put more miles on their car. Even if we're seeing a lower EV adoption rate in those neighborhoods, we're still gonna find more people to use the chargers and put more right. miles on it's, them. It's interesting how kind of, at least New York, which is idiosyncratic, but yeah. uh, neighborhoods that are transit deserts yeah. um, end up being really good targets for technology. So for example, huh. We're an investor, we, I think we sold out of it, but a company called Bird, which is an electric scooter yep. company. And as we were making the argument to legalize Bird, uh, both in Albany and Springfield, Illinois, it was really like, hey, the people who live in places where it's a 15, 20 minute walk to right. the subway, this is really good for them. And you guys kind of, in a different way, kind of meet the same need, which is you make it possible for people to be able to live in those neighborhoods, use their cars, and still drive electric. Yeah, it, you know everything that we're trying to do is to is to meet the specific needs the, that the city has, right? So we're going into communities where you know where they're not served by transit. We're giving the the homeowners there an opportunity to make passive income, so they can be actual partners in the deployment of EV infrastructure charging in their communities. You know, it helps us keep our uh, you know heads in, in, on the ground and seeing where the most need is. And then, uh, yeah, also, th then we're also letting people see a physical manifestation of uh, an EV charger. Like, there's an, an actual incentive for them to sign up, uh, or, or sorry, for them to consider uh, an EV for their next vehicle. Yeah. So what are the kinds of cities that this makes sense for? Because, like, Los Angeles feels like okay, people have homes and garages or driveways and chargers. So is it the high-density places like in New York or Chicago, or is it really anywhere with kind of an urban downtown? It's anywhere where people park on the street. Um, you know, so the, the use case in, you know, places like Brooklyn, Queens, Chicago, Boston, it, you know, it's obvious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, lesser, uh, you know, lower density cities, so uh, cities that have lots of uh, off-street parking uh, and driveways, you still end up with neighborhoods where you see, you know, the streets filled with street parked cars. And that's because people use their garages and driveways for different things. You know, uh, there was a study that came out in, in Sacramento that said, uh, you know, 60% or something like that uh, of, uh, uh, of properties that have a garage or driveway actually use that garage for their parking. Right, they, they're right. renting it out as an accessory dwelling. Yeah, there's they're, like what spot. There are there are some startups that have tried to sort of monetize though that that kind of over overuse or whatever. The over, yes. Over yeah. Yeah. Um, so if there are cities, New York's not really so much one of them, but there are cities for whom uh, residential parking permits is a very big part of life, right? Yeah. And sort of they, they become very very yeah, valuable, sure, right? Sure. Um, could you see a world where cities say we will incentivize people to do this by sort of making the permit? better in some way. We'll give you two. We'll make yeah. it last for longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I guess, and our city's buying into, you mentioned the relationship you have with DOT here in New York. Are they buying into the concept? 
Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I would say uh, we're, we're talking to two kinds of cities right now, actually. We're, we're talking to cities that have a fairly clearly defined uh, trajectory. Um, you know, New York City is one of them. They want to install 10,000 curbside chargers by 2030. Um, you know, the, and, but other cities are still trying to figure it out. But they acknowledge that they have to do something for these street park cars. Um, and and they, they're, right now they see, they're seeing lots of options on the table and they're still deciding which ones. Um, or they're still deciding whether or not they want to focus, focus on more centralized uh, charging uh, uh, configurations. Um, we, we think the more distributed approach is, is going to be the thing that wins the day. Uh, that opens up the most opportunity for drivers. It opens up other opportunities for things as well that, that cities are interested in. Um, one, one of the things that we are going to do is develop a, an EV charger that on the sidewalk side of the post or the charger post. Um, there's going to be a, a low voltage um, uh, charger for uh, micromobility. Right, so there's there's other ways that we can use the demand and the need for EV charging. So an electric bike, a scooter, electric or bike, like exactly. Yeah, scooters, wheelchairs too. If you have a, a wheelchair yeah. too, sometimes it can be a, a pain to get it charged if you live in an apartment building. Um, battery fires from electric bikes right now are a huge problem in New yep. York City. Uh, the city wants to move that sort of behavior out onto the street, and, you know, as well as just encourage people to try out different kinds of micromobility, but, and they don't want you know being able to charge it being a barrier. Yeah. So if if New York City went forward and there were ultimately they permitted 10,000 of these, how much of the market do you have to capture to start having the kind of revenue that lets you become you know a billion dollar company one day? Uh, that that's a great question. We you know we, we ultimately New York City is looking to have a hundred thousand chargers in. Wow. It. Yeah. Okay. So they, they they have a huge need. There's there's two million vehicles in uh, New York registered in New York City. About half of them actually park on the car, on the street. And so, you know, if the city wants to see about a ratio of like one to 10. Yeah. So we're talking about 100,000 uh, chargers just in New York City. We estimate that there's 40,000 vehicles, uh, sorry. We estimate that there's 40 million vehicles in the U.S. that rely on street parking. Yep. You know, and so that's, that's 4 million chargers. Uh, each one of those chargers has a, a different sort of revenue model, but, um, you know, very easily once we begin to deploy in places like New York, once we get set up in other cities as well, we can grow very quickly. We don't think we're going to be limited by demand. And is there a, so how do you build a moat in this kind of business? Is there a way, is it kind of like a franchise model like cable companies do? Or what's the way to say, okay, there's going to be 4 million of these for us to capture 20, I'm making this number up, but 20% of the market to therefore hit our revenue targets, our KPIs. Um, what do you need to do to kind of be the predominant player in the space? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. F moving first and quickly is definitely one of those yep. things. Um, our business model right now is, is quite unique, and, it, and because we have that sort of more simplified process of installing uh, without having the interface with the utility because we have that behind the meter approach, um, that lets us get more chargers in the ground faster. Once we're set up, it's really hard to, uh, you know, nobody's going to come along and put another charger in that place. So we can defend the chargers that we put out there. Um, and I think the, the revenue sharing model is also going to be super attractive. More host properties are going to be interested once they see how that works. Um, I think the other thing that we're trying to do is to think of ourselves as, as more than just uh, an EV charger company at, in the long term, right? We're, again, going to sort of use the demand, the, the really critical need to get EVs out there. But once you have that PowerPoint on the curbside, there's other things you can do. And uh, things like, um, uh, uh, for example, we could put, let's say, public Wi-Fi, right? You have that PowerPoint, it's already there. 
Uh, you could put uh, traffic sensors. There's ways to sort of integrate what we have too, also with uh, parking management systems, uh, things like that as well. So try to increase all, actually our offerings beyond just sort of the EV charging model, make our model in particular very attractive to, uh, other, uh, to other cities and, or line things up in the civic interest. And, and that way there's sort of a, uh, we can offer more to cities just than the simple EV right. charging. Yeah, multiple uses, multiple revenue streams. Exactly. Yeah. On the demand side, two questions. One is, do you have a sense, and maybe there's no data on this, but how many people would buy an electric car if charging were a lot easier than it would be for them today? And then two, if you, I mean, especially given all of the incentives that we just saw in the Inflation Reduction Act and in the infrastructure bill, when do we hit 50 plus percent electric vehicles in the U.S.? Yeah, and I, I wish there was a straightforward answer there. Uh, what I can say is, you know, over the past couple of years that we've been looking at it, we just see the projections for when that 50% is going to hit get earlier and earlier. So uh, the, the predictions that were being made 10 years ago was, you know, was a long, long way away. It's going to be a while because, you know, every time somebody buys a new car, they're going to have that on the road for about 10 to 15 years. So it's, it's going to be a slow process, but we still think that the demand is out there uh, to, to grow very quickly. Um, uh, you know, what one um, one survey, I think a recent survey, I, I should have this fact at my fingertips, but the recent survey said that, you know, about 60% of people were considering an EV for, for their next car. So there's interest out there, especially, obviously, you know, younger people are interested in, in looking at EVs as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, we, we did a, a really fast informal survey just through our, you know, our, you know, uh, landing page website when we first got started had everybody that we could talk to sort of answer, you know, would you consider buying an EV if you had a way to charge? And, you know, it was a self-selecting audience, but it was like 90% of people would said that their next car would be an EV if they if they knew that they had a way to charge. Right, now, and that's, I assume, before gas prices totally spiked. And that was before, that was before gas, the Ukraine exactly, and everything yeah, else exactly. happened there. Um, Tesla, right? So clearly the market at least buys into the notion that Tesla's going to make a lot of money one day making electric vehicles and other battery products, too. Yeah. Um, is that, do you think, the underlying sentiment by the market for EVs and the whole sector, including the infrastructure, broadly, or is Tesla just this weird anomaly because Elon's this sort of weird figure? Uh, so the, 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 the question is, can, let's see, is the, the question, can the EV market keep growing? Uh, yeah, or do, or do you think the excitement that the market has around Tesla is reflected in the market's interest in sort of the EV sector more broadly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, my uh, sort of, Political views about Elon aside, like the, the they've done some really brilliant marketing, and they've made, uh, you know, or, or pretty much overnight over the past, you know, four, you know, four or five years, they've made EVs a really highly desirable product. Uh, I think they're really smart how they got there. Um, I think they're facing some stiff competition now. I think the, the their valuation and their uh, profitability, like. Uh, that's something that the other OEMs can't ignore anymore. No. And so they're climbing on. Um, uh, I think that we're going to start to see other ways to try to... The, the Ford F-150 Lightning is going to be a, also a game changer. I assume you drive an electric car. Do you have a car? We do, yeah. And, and what would you say if you were right now listening to this podcast and say, okay, I'm in the market for an electric car. Here we are, CEO of an electric car infrastructure company. What do you like? What would you recommend? Uh, I'm, I'm going to start out with, with Hyundai. Uh, they, they have a Hyundai Ioniq and the, the Kia EV6. Uh, these are really nice cars. Uh, they are much more affordable than what's out there from Tesla. Uh, and they pretty much do the same things that Tesla does. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's just a, they're just a very nice car. 
Um, so I, I, uh, I, I've been telling people, you know, the Hyundai Ionics, the first one we've had, it's my favorite car, you know, the, by far. Uh, really fun to drive. You know, I think a lot of that is also going to be reflected in any EV you drive. They're just more fun to drive. Uh, but just in terms of how reliable it is, how, you know, how easy it is to use, um, very happy with that. Uh, people should take a look at Hyundai. And um, then, you know, the Chevy Bolt has been out there for a long time doing really good service. The, the, I, I, you know, Tesla has a reputation for having uh, brand loyalty, but if you ever talk to a Chevy Bolt driver, like, you know, you, they, you, love you, they love it. Yeah. Uh, they're also well, Why super, do they like it so much? I think it's, you know, the, this, the, I think it is just the ease of use, you know, how easy it is to kind of, you know, get it charged, uh, drive around with it. Um, they're small and compact. I think they're kind of fun and zippy to ride around in. Um, you, know, the, you know, I think some of the stuff around the Tesla brand is, you know, uh, is, is, can be kind of gimmicky. I think there's a, a certain aesthetic appeal, I think, that Chevy drivers have. You know, it's just a straightforward, you see what you, what you see is what you get kind of appeal. Right, right. So I've had an electric car for a while now. Yeah. There's two things that I've kind of noticed, and I'm curious if it's true or it's just my perception. So one is a, a mile is coming closer to an actual mile, right? So like, <laughs> you know, when your car says it has 296 yeah. miles, uh, five years ago, it was like, okay, I got about 190, yeah, 200, right? right? And right, now right. I think it's like getting pretty close to one-to-one. Yeah, one. Yeah. Is that, am I imagining that or is that real? Teslas in particular are getting yeah. much better at predicting range. Yeah. yeah. When, yeah. when I had a Tesla, I thought yeah. that was the most variable in, yeah, in terms yeah. of range. Yeah. And, and I've been talking to other drivers and they've said, it, you know, with every software update, the, the Tesla is getting much better at that range prediction. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the range prediction, you know, when I turn on my Hyundai, it's like, oh, I've got 330 miles, I'm going to be, a, but then, you know, it depends on how much you turn up the AC or, you right. know, whether you put the heated seats on and stuff like that, or if you're, if you're driving somewhere, uh, uphill, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the ability to sort of pre-program your route and have your, uh, have your mileage be predicted, I think is something that all the OEMs are trying to work on right now. But yeah, I, I would say that Tesla's the furthest ahead in terms of like, if it tells you you got 290 miles, you're going to get that, that pretty yeah. close to that. And the speed, pretty good, too. So, like, this morning, I was I plugged my car in. I was at 190, and I thought I was going to plug it for a couple hours, and then half an hour later, I had to go run and do something. And I was at 221. And I was like, this is not bad. Because I was when I got it, I'm like, I wonder how, you know, I had such a short amount of time to charge. I wonder how much I got. Yeah. So, how do you guys think about speed of charging for all of the, the infrastructure that you put in? So that, that's something that we, we talk about a lot. And what we, are, uh, what we are advocating is not necessarily the thing that's being talked about the most. The thing that's being talked about the most are these um, EV charging stations along thoroughfares, right? The, the DC fast chargers. Uh, I think we certainly need that infrastructure. People don't want to have that, that range anxiety. They want to have the freedom to go from state to state. But really what we see as a more critical uh, task to overcome is giving people the ability to charge their car overnight. So actually you spend less time actually fueling your vehicle, right? What, what you wanna do is you wanna plug it in and you wanna go home and, and go to bed and you come right. up, you come out. So to that, to that extent, it doesn't really matter if it takes 30 minutes or if it takes seven hours, right? right? You're st it still took you 30 seconds to plug your car in. Um, that sort of lower voltage overnight uh, charging is also critical, in especially in cities, because our grids are already overtaxed, right? So it, we can't charge all two million cars 
in New York City with centralized fast chargers. Right. We really do need this sort of lar larger distribution of uh, lower voltage charging. And again, to sort of encourage that overnight charging behavior or parked when you're sort of at work, right? Um, that, that's another, uh, another great use case for these uh, uh, lower voltage chargers. So I, I, get less, uh, uh, I get less concerned about how fast our chargers uh, charge because we, we think that the people that we're going, our customers are, are going to be people that live within a quarter mile from where our post is installed. And it doesn't really matter if, if they charge, um, you know, in, in it, the, the amount of time it takes for them to charge is really- right. It's not like when you're on the highway and you're a supercharger and like you're really anxious to get going again. No, no, it's, it's much, what we're doing is much more analogous to uh, the convenience that suburban uh, EV owners have. You know, yeah. you have a, a electrician come over, put a level two charger in your driveway yeah. or garage. We're doing that same thing, but we're obviously sort of, you know, dealing with the permitting process for, for the communities that we're installing. And so they have that sort of that same, you know, plug in, forget it kind of overnight uh, charging convenience. So your background is a little different than the, the typical founder. You're an architect. So one, you know, you did some really interesting stuff before this. You were at, uh, is it, how do you pronounce it? Sar Skidmore or Owens Merrill? Skidmore, S-O-M. Is it S-O-M or not? Yeah. Okay, got yeah, it. So you're S-O-M. And then you did some really interesting work for the city of New York. Um, tell us about kind of what you did, and then how did you go from that to creating a, a tech start? Well, got into architecture, not to take it too far back, but got into architecture um, really kind of after 9-11, uh, right? Uh, it was a, you know, it was a big uh, moment, momentous day from everybody that was uh, alive. You know, I was in Manhattan. Um, it, the, the problem that that this country had on our reliance on fossil fuels was never more, you know, was brought home in a very real way at that time. Yeah. And climate change wasn't something that we were necessarily as concerned about back then, but it was, you know, clearly becoming something that we, we, nobody was paying attention to. So got into architecture as a way, sort of, so to speak, to work from within the system, right? Uh, I thought that, uh, and, and I think that's most, we were mostly very successful architects as a, as a trade to kind of really change the conversation and, and make buildings more efficient, thinking about the energy that they're using. Uh, the the uh, practice has come a long way in the past couple of decades. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the other thing, uh, the, the other reason I got into architecture was because I love cities. You know, I've, I've always uh, uh, loved New York City. It's, it's this amazing place. Uh, it's also humanity's sort of best way to uh, coexist with nature, right? It's just a much more efficient way to live. It's a reduced footprint on the planet. Um, and uh, as, as much as I sort of loved architecture, there was, there was always a part of my brain that was thinking, well, we need to move faster. You know, I'm just, I think I'm inherently an impatient person, uh, you know, and I was sort of seeing, you know, well, it takes, you know, three to five years to build a building. Uh, and so is there something that I can do, you know, with the sets of skills that I've learned that can try to move the needle faster? And so I was always thinking, oh, what can I do? What can I do? And the moment that we came up with It's Electric was um, uh, sort of seeing, uh, solar panels going on the top of uh, townhouses in Brooklyn and thinking, isn't it a shame that that solar panel on that townhouse can't power an EV charger in front of it? And that's kind of when the light bulb go off, went off. So how hard was it from having that question mm -hmm. to then having the actual company, technology, product, like how long did it take? What do you have to do? We moved pretty fast, actually. Um, so talk to my co-founder, let's say in uh, like uh, April last year, uh, and I quit my job in uh, July to focus on this full time. 
Um, we really quickly found a great uh, industrial designer that we wanted to work with, Billings Jackson Design. They have, they have 8,000 pieces of street furniture installed in New York City. Uh, we found a couple of great uh, advisors who joined us early on. Uh, our first prototypes were um, uh, fabricated in May this year, and uh, we have one up and running in Detroit right now. So. It was a sort of from, from the idea April to having our working prototype in Detroit was, you know, just, just let's say, say just over a year. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a step back. And I know you're really interested in generally kind of the future of energy in cities. I'm going to eat on this podcast. I like to give listeners, guests a, a magic wand for public right. policy, right? So I'm going to give you a magic wand and you can make one really big energy policy choice that you think will matter the most. It could be let's switch to nuclear, it could be let's triple the gas tax, it, you know, it, whatever it is you want it to be, what is it that you think would help cities the most? Uh, okay, that, that's a great question. Um, do, does my magic wand also include, you know, financial incentives to sure. enable? Okay, great. Yeah, so let's just, you know, I think let's just have a, a hard stop on um, burning fossil fuels, you know, in our cities. I, I think that there's a way to do that. Uh, it's got it's got to come with though a huge investment in infrastructure. I, I think that that would uh, electrifying our cities is the fastest and best way that we can have a more sustainable city. We have to do that part of it first. Ultimately, uh, electrifying the cities is going to be less expensive, you know, for consumers. We we just have to get over this infrastructure uh, problem that we have already. Um, and so, you know, we, we need to take our uh, we need to take our fossil fuel burning peaker plants offline as quickly as we can. But they need to be replaced with something, right? So we need to put in battery backup. We need to increase our capacity to get renewable power from you know Canada and other places upstate. Build our offshore wind plants. A lot of this stuff, by the way, New York City is doing. I just you know wish that New York State and New York City would move much faster than they are. Really? You don't think government moves at <laughs> great speed? Um, exactly. That's, that's the magic wand. <laughs> yeah, ex ex exactly. Um, Congress, I think, has taken probably the most meaningful action they've ever taken on climate in, in recent weeks with the, you know, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, it was yeah. really mainly a climate yeah, bill. Yeah. What do you think of the bill? What do you think it did in terms of creating the kind of infrastructure or funding the kind of infrastructure that you were just talking about? It's going to do a lot. Yeah, I, th I think it's going to make a huge impact on on the uh, on the ability for us to deploy uh, infrastructure. Right? It's there's just a lot of money that's going to go in being invested into green power you know, across the board, including you know electric vehicles. Uh, but you know we we also want to make sure that those electric vehicles are getting powered from renewable sources. Right? An EV, if it's being even if it's being charged by a coal power plant, is still going to use less carbon over its lifetime than a gas uh, powered car. Uh, but it's still going to make much more sense for our transportation to be powered by renewables. Uh, and and the, the billions of dollars that are going to go into that are going to make a profound difference. Um, yeah. Uh, it was nice to see them do something positive for once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, absolutely. I, I, I was on a plane, um, and I wasn't getting my news, and I landed, and, and I saw the— Because the, the Wi-Fi never actually works. Yeah, because the Wi-Fi doesn't actually ever work. Yeah, and right. then I saw that uh, Joe Manchin agreed to— and, and yeah. then I saw all the text coming in. And so, yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, yeah. last question. So if I wanted to take a tour of the world's best energy-sustainable cities, anywhere in the world, oh my God. where would I go? <laughs> Oh man, uh, I, sh I should have come prepared for this one. Um, that's uh, th that is a great question. Um, I think a lot of the northern European cities are are really yeah. far ahead in that. 
Um, you know, that they're being smart about how, you know, a lot of these also, by the way, these Northern European companies are using uh, the money that the that their fossil fuel industries are, are making to sort of make these aggressive conversions. But, um, you know, I, I think that you see a lot of stuff in, in Northern Europe as being, you know, super progressive and, and really kind of slashing their uh, their carbon footprints. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to say something that that you might not like, but I think New York City under uh, uh, um, the previous mayor did a really great job. We'll have to uh, edit this part out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they passed, uh, you know, local law 97, yep. which is basically a carbon tax. Uh, they also passed things like local law 94, which doesn't get a lot of attention. But that's, you know, a law that says if you replace your roof, you got to put a, a solar panel or a green roof. Uh, lots of other, you know, the, um, the, I think it's local law 87, it's the uh, scorecard that your sustainability scorecard, yeah, that, yeah. you know, using the, the uh, shaming, the ability to shame people. So what's the, I was, the highest I've ever seen was a 99, but I saw a two once. Oh my God. And that kind of blew me away. <laughs> like I've kind of gotten, Hugh, I don't know if you do this, like I kind of now find it, I look and I'm like curious to sort of see the range. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, it's not a perfect system. It's not a perfect measurement system. Uh, it's you know, it uses something called energy use intensity, which is you know how much energy you're using per square foot of your building. Um, and you know, the, some buildings like uh, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of servers in your building, sometimes it, it doesn't take that into account, right? Uh, you know, a, a residential property is going to perform much better. Got it. So I. Because sometimes it's like an office building that looks reasonably class A yeah. and modern. You're like, how would they have a nine? Yeah, and it's yeah. because they have just tons of servers, and therefore the, the yeah, operating yeah. doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know the behavior of the occupants. You know, it, 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 all these commercial office buildings are tenanted and subtenanted, and you know it's very hard to try to figure out um, you know where the, those extra loads are coming from. But cool. it still, overall, is a good way to kind of you know get a, a snapshot of how that building is doing. Yeah. And, how do people find you? How do they learn more about It's Electric? How do they become customers? Uh, it's electric.us. Um, we have a wait list up there. Uh, it's not just for New York City. It's for uh, anywhere in uh, the country right now. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you. Um, hello at itselectric.us. Uh, we've got uh, a Twitter account. We've got an Instagram. Uh, come follow us there as well. Cool. Um, and uh, always happy to hear from our potential customers and uh, host properties. Great. Well, hope everyone checks it out. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Thank you.